Hey there, Vernacular Faithful. Redcoat here. And... CNJ joins them. It gets longer and longer and longer. It's got to have a running gag somewhere. I suppose so. At any rate, we are here at the last podcast of the season. And we wanted to take a moment to go over a little bit of what we've talked about in the past, but also to talk to you a little bit about why we even decided to do this series of podcasts about games and why we're approaching it the way that we did. Yeah, it's a bit of uh, reflection and introspection. We think it's a good way to cap off the season. But our first question that we kind of had to, to kind of think about and ponder is just, how has this academic discussion approach that we've taken, how has it affected how we work with game design or analysis and design work, that sort of stuff? So for me, it allowed me to take in various integrated parts of games as separate elements and analyze their strengths and weaknesses. By doing it in this academic way, I actually, we gained a lot of tools to really dig in at that. That's for sure. And I think the other thing is it made me really think a lot more about certain concepts when it comes to how player audiences really uh, approach our games and you know what it is that makes them tick. I mean, not in the sense of like how to make money off of them, although that's, that is a thing, but more in the sense of just like what makes a good engaging thing for each individual player, you know? Mm, yeah, because there's lots of different types of players out there. Yeah, exactly. I know for me, uh, just the podcast in general has uh, influenced my, well, vernacular in so much as Narvazad is a part of it now. I also feel like doing this series has really helped me develop a better framework for figuring out stuff in games that I like and like what they're doing, what those games that I like are doing, and why I don't like stuff that I also don't like in games, and uh, also just how to grab an element that I do like and, and make good use of it. A lot of times we encounter a game that we like or a movie that we like or something, and we won't understand fully why we like it and how to repurpose that, that part. And this is where you find people taking the wrong lessons from stuff. And these tools helped me understand what the right lessons are and how to take those. So I found that doing this academic analysis has given me tools for understanding what elements of the game worked well for me and why, and what didn't work well for me and why, and why they might work well for someone else. Uh, and then I also feel that I've developed better tools for understanding how to, like I said, pull elements from Mechanics or Narvazad and how to unskin them from each other and apply them in different ways. Just sort of that idea that uh, a mechanic does not have to always come paired with the same Narvazad, and vice versa. So moving from there, some of my favorite casts from this season. My, I have, uh, we decided to choose a set of three for each of us because we wanted to you know, didn't want to be here forever. <laughs> yeah, we didn't want to talk about every single one of these podcasts. So one of my favorites was the Complexity series in particular. Uh, and the reason was going through the process of building a lexicon of terms to identify different elements of complexity for games, things that players engage with and how they engage with them, that really helped me in just thinking about the different types of games that are out there and what audiences gravitate to what and how to really dig in there. It gave me tools for that. Mm -hmm. And uh, and that, I really appreciated that aspect. Anyway, uh, the, the other one that was a favorite of mine was the randomness cast, uh, which where we talked about the concept of the idea of randomness and then the psychology that follows for players in, when they're um, interacting with that randomness.
phrase. It gave us that wonderful phrase, non-pattern pattern. Yes, I love that phrase. <laughs> it's so true. It's just like, you expect the thing to not make a pattern, but it's not actually constrained to not make a pattern. It's, yeah. it's very interesting. It's a bit mind-bending, really. Um, but the other one was the Competitive Environment series, which, again, it's another bit of understanding your player audiences. But in this case, it's more uh, crafting something in response to how they're interacting with it and how to really build around an audience that's already interacting with your, with your titles. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of interaction in that one between audience members and the developer and how to manage and engage with that stuff. So my list, I kind of felt had a theme of intentionality. So I picked these in order of appearance, not necessarily in ranking of like favorite to least favorite or anything, just because I was looking through our list. And so I was like, oh, I like this one. And then this one, and then this one. So uh, yeah, the, yeah. The, the first one I picked uh, was the podcast about music. And for me, uh, this is resonating with the theme that I've seen about music just in general, which is how important it is to not use music haphazardly. Uh, otherwise, if you're very careless with how you use music, it loses its emotional power. And how significant is it that Nintendo makes the Hyrule theme, like, it keeps it consistently the Hyrule theme. It doesn't just randomly use it for, like, other things, right? Yeah, the the whole concept of uh, consistency of juxtaposition. And... Yeah. Well, and, like, I've been engaging a lot with Ocarina of Time lately. And uh, because I've been watching a lot of randomizers for it while I'm doing other stuff. Yeah. And... One of the options in that randomizer is to shuffle the music. Oh. So you'll, like, walk in a Hyrule field and you'll start playing the organ from Ganon's Tower. <laughs> that sounds amazing. Uh, it sounds amazing until you keep walking through Hyrule Field and you keep getting the organ starting up. Uh, it's, it's amazingly out of place. Yeah. And it breaks the immersion, but it's hilarious. Yes. Um. So the lessons from that, or, like, the, the enemies nearby music being something like the Lomon Ranch theme. So you start hearing those nice, uh, gentle twangs of Lomon Ranch because an enemy's near you. <laughs> uh, but what that mod really shows is just how carefully placed the music is mm-hmm. in Ocarina of Time. How the music here is connected to that place. Like, you hear Saria's theme, and uh, you know the Lost Woods, right? It connects to that. Yeah. It's... And that sort of wedding between music and locations, that tight thematic mm-hmm. work that they do, is just, it's so important to making that music so memorable and something that brings up memories, too. It's not just that you remember the music, it's that the music has memory connected to it. And so we really dug well into, like, how to do that sort of thing in the music cast, and I yeah. think that was really significant from that one. Uh, the next one that I selected was the one on crafting systems. This one for me was just really interesting from the standpoint of analyzing from a meta sense and or specifically analyzing an instance, but in a meta sense, just making sure that things properly fit the role that they're meant to serve. Because in that, we dug into how with crafting systems, you have to understand how integral it is to your game and how well connected it is into your game versus like how much it's kind of like a loose thing hanging off the side or whatever. It's like, how much are you asking the player to engage with this mechanic how much are you making it something that they need to care about and how is that kind of working all together through and through it was really good for digging into that stuff where we talked about oh well if your game is about crafting to a higher degree you need to make sure that the crafting supports it 
Yeah. And if it's not about crafting, then you have to make sure you've not made an unwieldy monster that nobody wants to interact with. Yeah. So it was just really interesting from that standpoint. And, like, if crafting is supposed to be important to your game, design your game that such that crafting is important, and then make it something that players are happy to engage with. So it's just really interesting from that standpoint. And taking that the ideas that we talked about in that one and extrapolating them from crafting more broadly to other systems, I think is something that's uh, useful to do. So it's useful from that meta sense as well. Yeah. And then the last one uh, that I selected was the power of loss in storytelling. Again, this, there's a lot of intentionality here, being intentional with designing worlds so they can connect to players. Sort of ideas here also showed up again in the... Um, a recent cast, actually, the one with uh, uh, replayability. Yeah. yeah, where we're talking about um, how to make something re-engageable, right? Yeah, and uh, just those ideas of building connections between places and players. I mean, it goes back to the music one as well, right? Because yeah. that, that plays a role in it. And so that one, to me, was really focused in on how do we create stuff that players can emotionally connect to, that develops attachments that draws players in and um, makes them care about it yeah. yeah yeah for sure so that that's why I selected that one so with all of that in mind we come to the the core concept of our podcast even from season one to season two uh, the idea that we wanted to bring an academic approach to game design theory and just general of games, just the idea of when you're looking at a game, we're not just talking about, well, do I like it or not, but also what are the techniques involved? Why did they go in this direction opposed to this direction? and How well did they employ that technique? Yeah, ways of analyzing games that go beyond good and bad or 7 out of 10. Yeah, and like for me, one of the reasons that I wanted to do this is because I really feel that the medium of games should be granted a form of artistic respect. And one of the ways to do that is to look at them in an artistic way, where it's about the strokes involved or how you're doing it. Like when you're looking at a painting, when you're appraising it artistically, it is not necessarily about whether you like it or not. Now, that's important. Um, but more about how does it draw emotions from you, or why is it that they choose these colors? Why did they use these brush strokes? What do these brush strokes do? It, it goes beyond a mere, do I like it or not? You know, that, that question is great when it comes to time to determine whether or not you want to put it on your wall. And, and liking, in, in this sense, can be broader than just, like, I enjoy looking at it. It can be, it, it has emotional meaning to me, right? Yeah. But there's a lot that you can examine of, like, why. Yeah, because it, this is the difference between looking at it from a consumer's point of view, of where, really, at the end of the day, I just want this to invigorate me. I want this to be something that I like. And looking at it more from a producer's point of view or a, a creator's point of view, where I want this to speak to many people. Yeah, and sort of it stops being the question of is this good or bad and becomes is this effective? Yes. Does this say what I want it to say? Does this say something else entirely? And if it does say something else entirely, did I mistakenly just do that really well? <laughs> You know, that sort of deal. Mm -hmm. 
And I feel like that's a part of the craftsmanship of the arts, and I feel like that's something that should be afforded to games as well, because after a fashion, I feel that games came up in a consumerist culture. Like, when we think back to paintings, and we think back to, I mean, even movies, although they, too, were uh, in a consumerist space as well. Yeah, but they're an older form, so they have a more um, developed they language have, of critique. This is true, this is true. Like, paintings were in an era of, like, I think they really caught on in the era of the Renaissance, um, back in the age of the Medicis, and basically where you had people who would commission works because they wanted the works to exist, and they would find artists who they felt were of strong artistic merit to do those works. Yeah, where having the artworks almost a bragging right. Yeah, and... These days, with, I mean, with a game, there's a whole bunch of different aspects that go into what a person draws from it. And there is this functional aspect of, I want to spend some time doing something that gives me enjoyment. That, you know, that's, that's what a game is selling you, you know, is yeah. something to spend some time and to give you good feelings. Or, you know, bad feelings, depending. Gives you feelings. It gives you something that you're trying to get from it. But, you know, it goes beyond that to the idea of making something that says something. Or or maybe it doesn't even necessarily say something, but making something that specifically does something. Um, you know, it makes you feel specifically happy. And that's what the game is specifically there to do. And going into techniques of how to do that. But yeah, that's one particular aspect of it for me. Um... The other was just wanting to develop in a method of analysis, and that kind of dovetails off of the last part of just wanting to be able to more clearly talk about games in the format of what they do and how they do it. Yeah, well, it's the idea that games are not the same as other art forms, right? Because they're an experience, and a lived experience, and not just a viewed thing. Yeah, they are, in my opinion, I consider them to be one of the epitomes of the composite experience, where... They combine music, they combine visual, they combine storytelling, and along with all of that, you have, because all of those are combined, you get this experiential thing. Well, and it's the Narvazod married to mechanics. Yeah. For me, I enjoy analysis. I enjoy digging into things, trying to understand how they work. And uh, I've really enjoyed having somebody to collaborate on this with who's also passionate about trying to figure out how things are working. And then also I find that having an understanding of how medium works really opens up a lot of power when both understanding work as well as making it. And I think video games are worthy of an academic analysis and somebody needs to do it, right? And yeah. The more people who are doing it, the more tools we have to be able to do this analysis as well. It shouldn't just be relegated to people that have to give things a score at the end of the day because that's what their job is. Because that sort of analysis is usually going to be focused on technical, did it work or not. Yeah, it's, it tends to become utilitarian in some ways. Mm -hmm. And there's a, absolutely a place for consumer advocacy analysis, but I want a deeper analysis as well. And being able to publicly share this sort of analysis, and not just have it be me and Redcoat chatting in a room about this game we liked, called Dark Souls probably. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> most likely, or Mario 64. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we love talking about those, but because um, they're good er examples that have been around long enough that people probably have experienced them or at least have awareness of them, right? Yeah. Um, but publicly sharing this also potentially allows consumers to be better informed. And if nothing else, 
I'm hoping that people that listen get tools to be able to understand what they actually like from a game. And knowing what you actually like from something allows you to be able to figure out whether or not you might like another thing like it, right? So if you look at, say, Mario 64, and you're like, you know what I really loved about that game? Exploring the world maps, mm-hmm. right? Hunting down those stars. That was the thing that I really liked. Then maybe you don't like other Mario games as much. Yeah. Because they aren't as focused on that. Like, especially, Mario Galaxy started to veer away from that. But especially, like, the original style of Mario games, where it's just, like, get to the end of the level sort yeah. of stuff. Where there are more obstacle courses than um, spaces for exploration. Yeah. So then you can say, oh, well, these other games have that same sort of exploration mechanic, like, mechanic aesthetic sort of thing going on that I really love from Mario 64. Maybe I'll look at those. Or maybe you play Dark Souls, and what you really like is how the combat is paced, mm-hmm. right? So then you can look at, okay, why is the combat pacing something that, that I really like? What's going on with it? And maybe what you find is it's always active, right? Yeah. It allows me to be able to continually engage. If the enemy is blocking, I can do something about it. If mm-hmm. the enemy is attacking me, I have options about how to respond. But there's a deliberate uh, committedness as well. Mm-hmm. So maybe you can start looking for stuff that has those aspects, that allows you to be able to do something when the enemy's in a defensive state, that allows you to be able to defend it from attacks. You know, That makes you have to commit to how you're attacking, so there's an intentionality to it. Mm-hmm. Maybe you can start looking for those sorts of things, and you might find other games that do those things that don't have some of the other things that Dark Souls does with its exploration and world design and all that sort of stuff that maybe is not important to you. Whereas for somebody else, it might be super important, so they look for games that focus on that, and maybe they don't need the combat as much. So Yeah, it's basically with all of these tools, you can be a connoisseur of games yeah. after a fashion. And you can introspect and understand what you like. So for me, knowing how much I like customization stuff, like what specific things do I like and I'm not going to get into all that here if you really care you can hear some amount of it in the uh, Guild Wars 1 podcast oh you can hear a large amount of it in the Guild Wars 1 podcast (laughs) (laughs) but having that ability to figure out okay it's these things that I like how can I replicate these in games that I make so that way making games that I enjoy but also how can I find other games that do the sorts of things that I enjoy you know, that sort of thing is really important because sometimes stuff can, on the surface, look like it appeals to you. But if you actually understand what you like better and can dig into those games, like, I don't like Skyrim. Why do I not like Skyrim? That's a really good question. It's because I don't have anything to latch on to. Mm-hmm. Right? And I don't have any sort of sense of invest- investment. What can be done about that? How could something be approached differently? It's like, well, Breath of the Wild has a lot of similarities, and I really love that game. Yeah. So it did something different. And these tools that we've talked about can help me be able to figure out what those differences are to be able to understand why I bounce off Skyrim and why I engage with uh, Breath of the Wild. Yeah. Well, I think you put it very erudictly, very clearly. Erudite. I don't use that word very often. Erudite? Yeah. That's I think how I pronounce it. Yeah. Yeah, that's how you, that's how you pronounce it. <laughs> yeah, that's how you pronounce it. Exactly. Yeah. But, yeah, that's a... I think that about like covers it for me on like what why I wanted to make the why we wanted to make this podcast. But just to kind of recap, it's really just wanting to give the uh, give the academic approach to game design and to create well not create from whole cloth, but to create and discover tools with regards to how to really analyze these things and. How to build them. Yeah, I wanted to add tools to the toolbox of understanding game design. Yeah. 
And hopefully we've been able to do that for you here. If not, that's all right. We've made some content for you to listen to and to contemplate. Or if we are unsuccessful in doing it, maybe you'll be. <laughs> Indeed. Join the discussion. So with that, I'm going to go ahead and do the final sign-off for this season. So, Santier, if you would. This is Santier, signing off. And this is Redcoat, signing off. Play the games you want to play, boyos. <laughs>